Good morning. Every week we've been going chapter by chapter. We're up to chapters 18 and 19 in the Gospel of John. What's the most insignificant? The thing you think, well, why in the world did John even put that in there? The most insignificant thing in these two chapters. You know what I think it is? If I had a title for this sermon, I think it would be, Hey, Malchus, did you hear that? What? If you, if you have your Bible, or, or, or even if you don't, you can watch it. And say, I've made you stand up the last two weeks. Make it three in a row. Would you stand for the reading? I'm going to read this part of the, of the scripture. I know you think, wow, me, Pastor Rob, you never have a stand. And we're three weeks in a row. Matthew, John 18, chapter, verse 1. When he had finished praying, when Jesus finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples, crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, Garden of Gethsemane. And he and his disciples went there. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus often met with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials and, and from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And they were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. If you're looking for me, let these men go. This happened so the words that he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one that you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup my father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for all people. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Ah. It's interesting what John includes and what he doesn't include, excludes from the writing of his gospel. Remember, he's the last one of the gospel writers. He's the last one writing decades after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So it's interesting, what does he include? What does he don't include? He doesn't include like the birth narratives. There's no story of Mary and Joseph and, and the shepherds coming and a star in the sky and wise men. He doesn't tell any of that. He goes back farther. He goes back all the way to the very, very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. That's John 1.1. And he doesn't include, all he says, they came to a garden. He doesn't include the Garden of Gethsemane story. I love the Garden of Gethsemane story. When Jesus is in the garden and he's, and he's praying and he's weeping, you know, drops of blood and he says, Lord, if there's anything, if anything could be done, you know, take this cup from me. But not my will, but your will be done. That's a powerful, powerful preach on that lots of times. But Jesus, he, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't include that. What he does do is give us a vivid description of the arrest of Jesus. He tells us everybody who's there, Jesus, of course, the 11 disciples, Judas, the Roman soldiers, the temple guards, various Pharisees and scribes, servant of the high priest. All these parties converge. All these groups who normally would not get along at all. The Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities, they hated one another. But they all come together, they converge at this point in history to seize and arrest Jesus. That's why they're all there. And they're, here's the plan. Judas is going to go up and kiss Jesus on the cheek, and then they'll know, you know, who to arrest. Wait one minute. 
no one knew who Jesus is. Jesus has been preaching in the temple all week long. They easily could have arrested him at the temple, but they were afraid of the crowds and what they might do. That's why they're there at night. Uh, they, they know who Jesus is. What's the deal with, why does, why does Judas, why go through this whole charade? I don't really have an answer for that. Maybe it was to, to lessen or, 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 or bring down the tension. A detachment, John says that a ta- detachment of soldiers, you see that in verse 3, showed up. A detachment of soldiers was anywhere from three to 600 soldiers. 300 soldiers. All to arrest one guy. That's a little bit of overkill, don't you? 300 soldiers. It makes you wonder what Judas told the chief priest on how the disciples might respond in that moment. 300 to 600 soldiers all there. And, and Luke tells us that, that, that they're there, that there's two swords. That the disciples said, hey, Jesus, should we take these two swords? And he says, I'm not sure, that's good enough. So there's two, two swords against a detachment of three to 600 soldiers carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. There's kind of a nervous, I think there'd be a nervous energy in that group, right? They all circle around Jesus. Picture the scene, they're all circling around Jesus. They got their weapons out. They're ready. Verse four, Jesus knowing what's gonna happen to him went out and said to them, who does he want? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. Remember, John, John uses those I am phrases throughout the, the gospel. We've talked about them, right? I am the, I am the, the good shepherd. I am the, the way, the truth, the life. I am the, the gate. I am the true vine. I am the resurrection. And Jesus says, I am he. And you see what happens? <laughs> Verse 6, when Jesus said, I am he, 600 soldiers, they drew back and fell to the ground. Picture that. I am he. And all these guys with their weapons and torches, it's a... Who do you think's in charge of this, of this evening? I'll give you a hint. This isn't good English. It ain't the soldiers. I am he. And, and, and so he asks him again, who is it you want? And they're getting up off the ground. <laughs> I'm dusting them off. Jesus of Nazareth? And again he says, I am he. I told you I am he. If you're looking for me, let these men go. So they arrest Jesus. They're getting ready to arrest him. And it kind of gets to, I don't know, go time for Peter. Right? They took two swords. And, and if you remember, in John chapter 13, what Peter said, Peter said, I'm going to lay down my life for you, Jesus. I'm ready to die for you, Jesus. And so we're at this crucial moment. It's put up or shut up time for Peter. Wait a minute, there's 300, maybe 600 soldiers. What's he going to do? Well, we know what he's going to do because John writes it. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, and struck the high priest's servants, cutting off his right ear. Make sure you note that, his right ear. Why did John even tell us that? What detail? Who? Bible scholars have been, have been talking about that for centuries. His right ear. How do you cut off, how, do you, how does a right-handed person cut off somebody's right ear? It's kind of hard to do. And so Bible scholars think, well, maybe, maybe, maybe Peter was left-handed. That'd make it easier. 
Oops, this year, not that year. Or maybe, 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 maybe Malchus, maybe kind of sucker punched Malchus and And why even let us know it's his, the, the Greek of that, it, it actually goes back, it's probably even just the lobe. I get the feeling that Peter was just, you know, he's a fisherman, he's not a soldier. He gets that sword out, he's just wheeling it around, he probably aims for his neck and, you know, gets the earlobe. And poor Malchus, you know, now he's thinking, I can never buy a pair of earrings again, one will do. Why does, why does John tell us that? Why does he even name this guy? We've been working our way through the Gospel of John. Remember the, remember the Samaritan woman in chapter 4? The first person that Jesus says, you know, I'm the Messiah. We're looking for the Messiah. Guess what, lady? It's me. John doesn't tell us her name. And in John chapter 5, the, the, the guy who'd been, been sick at Bethesda for 38 years, remember that story? John doesn't tell us his name. And remember, he devotes an entire chapter to the guy who was born blind, John 9. Powerful story, important story. We don't know his name, but Malchus. His name was Malchus. Why, why does John take the time? And then, so Peter cuts off his ear, and Jesus responds to that, even after he said, okay, yeah, two's enough, two good, two, that's good, two swords. Jesus says, put your sword away, Peter. In Luke, it, it has Jesus saying, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear, Malchus's ear, and healed him. And then Jesus gave himself up. And they arrested him. Now, I'm no police officer. Uh, I don't know how this works. But as far as I can tell, the only one who committed a crime in the garden that night was Peter. Right? We, we would say he assaulted poor Malchus. Or maybe, maybe it was attempted assault for one of those 300 soldiers. Why would he attack scrawny little Malchus, you know, the chief priest's servant, when there's all these other guys carrying swords? Why not go after one of those guys, Peter? Why, you know, why attack little poor Malchus? I say arrest Peter. Well, they didn't arrest. You get the feeling that there's some confusion going on. That, that, that these guys, these soldiers, they came to get Jesus. That's all they want to do, and they want to get it done as quick as can be. Jesus had just said, I am he. They had to pick themselves up the ground because he was so powerful, that he was so much in charge. Which that reminds me, when you're, going through, when you're surrounded by troubles, when they're all around you, just know this, that Jesus is still in charge. Jesus can handle those things around you. <laughs> and you know, uh, hear this right. Sometimes God uses us for sure. So hear this. God doesn't need you to remedy your problems. God can handle them. And, and Peter, he's thinking, okay, it's me against these 600. I like those odds. And then who does he go after? Poor little Malchus. <laughs> the one guy that can't do anything. God can handle it. He doesn't, he doesn't need your intervention. What are, what are, sometimes what we need to do is just relax. Be patient. Trust God. He's in control. I'm not. I'm just going to trust Jesus. And that's what he tells us in here. Put your sword away. Peter, shall I not drink from the cup that my, my father gave me? 
Why did, why did John include I think, I think in part including us, because they're, here they go, they arrest uh, uh, Jesus. They don't arrest Peter, even though he cut off the guy's ear. But of course, Jesus, you know, picked it up. <laughs> no harm, no foul, go on. I think sometimes Jesus protects us. Malchus doesn't ask Jesus to heal him, and Peter doesn't ask that Jesus would heal him. Sometimes Jesus just intervenes. And I don't know how this all works, but I can tell you this, when you get to heaven, if there's a list, you can go and say, I'd like to see the times that God intervened that I knew nothing about. Could you see that list, please? And you will see that God has come and helped you in times you don't even know about. Sometimes you do know. Sometimes you get through a situation and say, whew, how in the world did that happen? It wasn't me. I remember when I was in seminary, my roommate and I, Rod Green, we were just talking about this story. He was just up visiting a, a month ago or so. And we were on our way. We worked together. We went to school together. We worked together at the Nazarene Publishing House. And on this particular day, uh, he was driving. We would carpool, and he was driving. I, was not, I want the record to show I was not driving. It was Rod. We were driving down uh, 35, going north on 35, headed to the publishing house. And I don't know if Rod didn't pay attention to the sign or if he didn't notice the sign, but the lane was coming to an end. And we had the cement barrier on this side, and there was, and there was a, a semi-truck on this side, and there were the barrels, you know, so you couldn't go through right in front of us. And there was nothing we could do. And I threw up my hands, I was on the passenger side, I threw up my hands like this and screamed, ah! And Rod did the same thing, he's driving! <laughs> ah! I'm not kidding, that is exactly what happened. And I don't know, I, I cannot tell you because I was screaming and closing my eyes and thinking for sure we were running into the barrels. But we, we ended up, when I, when I opened my eyes and when Rod opened his eyes and got his hands back on the wheel, we were in front of that semi-truck on 35. Neither one of us knows how that happened. I, I seriously, this is this, we were just talking about, we were reminiscing. You remember that time we were going through, yeah, how could you forget? You know, and I don't know. I don't know how that happened. Now, someone here is saying, listen, Rob, that didn't happen for my loved one. He was in a car accident. She was in a car accident. That didn't happen for us. I know. I get it. I, I tell you all the time, I'm in sales, not management. I don't know why God does what he does when he does it. I don't know how God works in some cases, and then other times he allows, you know, stupid people to smash into the, to the, to the, to the barrels. I don't know. I don't know. I just know one time I was going down I-35 and I thought for sure we were dead and we ended up not being dead. I don't know how God works. I know he works. My friend Lisa who lives with us, she says, God's got this. And sometimes we need to just remember, God's got this. God's got you. God's got you. You can trust him. Maybe that's why John included this story. Jesus, we can trust well, Jesus, again, he gets arrested and, 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 and he goes off. And of course, John knows what's happening, writing decades after the event. So John knows what's going to happen. He knows that Jesus is going to be in the Inquisition and he knows that Jesus is going to be on the cross and he knows that he's going to be buried and he knows that, you know, he's, he knows all of that. And he knows Peter. Peter, this loudmouth, crazy impulsive, you know, wielding his sword, Peter, who denies Jesus, we're not talking about today, but denies Jesus three times, that Peter, 
is the same guy that on the day of Pentecost was the rock on which Jesus used. And I think John writing decades later saying, Peter was so ridiculous, and yet God took this guy who was a failure, who was ridiculous, and turned him into the rock on which the church was built. God does that all the time. You may not see what God can, you may not see yourself as God does. You may think that you can't handle situations, but when God is involved, you can take care of it. It's, it's the Old Testament story of Gideon in the cisterns, you know, sifting wheat, which you cannot do in a cistern. The only reason you'd be in a cistern uh, uh, sifting wheat is because you're afraid of who's outside the cistern. You're a fraidy cat. And the angel shows up, and remember what the angel said, the first words out of his mouth to Gideon? Mighty warrior, greetings. <laughs> Mighty warrior, I'm in the cistern sifting wheat. And he looks at Peter and says, Peter, you're the rock on which I'm going to build. That's right, you, Peter. All right, back to the story. John knows what's going to happen. He knows Jesus is going to the cross. Mom, here's your son. I'm thirsty. It is finished. He knows that Jesus' cold, dead body is going to be placed in the tomb that Joseph of Arimathea provides. And he knows, here's your spoiler alert, and he knows we're going to talk about it next Sunday. He knows it, you know, up from the grave he arose, whew, with a mighty triumph for his foes. He knows all that. And as far as we know, Jesus never returned to the garden. It's not recorded. We don't have any record of him, you know, walking in the streets of Jerusalem after the resurrection. He just kind of shows up where he wants to show up. But I wonder what happened to Malchus. What, what happened to Malchus the next day? I can imagine him going back to the office. And Caiaphas saying, hey, how'd it go tonight? Did you arrest him? Yeah, we did. We really did. And, and, was there any trouble? Was it, did that loudmouth Peter say anything to you? Well, as a, <laughs> funny you should bring that up. As a matter of fact, he, he did. He caused a little problem. What was the problem? Well, um, he cut off my ear. Which ear? This ear. He cut it off. Yeah, this ear. He cut it off. Yeah, that one right there. Well, how come it's still on your head? Maybe we need to rethink this, Caiaphas, about, you know, what you're going to do to Jesus. Did, did Caiaphas, the day after Easter, what we call Easter, the day after Jesus rose from the dead, did he look at that two-eared Malchus and say, I wonder that guy who could work a miracle on Malchus's ear, if he could defeat death. Did Malchus look in the morning, look in the mirror that morning and say, it's Jesus. What happened? Did the Roman soldiers look at themselves and say, maybe we killed the wrong guy. Maybe it should have been Caiaphas or Annas or one of those guys instead of Jesus. What were they saying that day? See, I'm convinced that God gives us reminders of his grace. I think every time Malchus looked in the mirror, he thought of Jesus. We're not told whether he became a Christian or not. We don't know. But I know this. How can you not look in the mirror? You see your two ears. You knew that one was laying in the dirt in the Garden of Gethsemane and knowing that Jesus is the one that put it back on your head. I think God gives us reminders all the time of his grace and his goodness. He goes before us. He goes after us. We call that, we call that in the church, prevenient grace. The grace that reaches us even when we're running away from God. Prevenient grace. The times when God intervenes and we don't even ask him to intervene, but God intervenes. Prevenient grace. 
Here's your, here's your commercial for today. You know, we're doing a book signing. The book is released today. Um, got cancer. Uh, uh, there's help. And I wrote it, but Lisa was much of the inspiration of that book. And we're going to be signing it afterwards. And I think it's chapter five in the book. We call it God Winks. And that's Lisa's term for really for prevenient grace. And, and God Winks are those occurrences that people say are luck or happenstance or, or a fluke type of thing. And, and Lisa says, no, 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 that's not luck or happenstance. That's God's intervention. God is working. God's, God's there. And she calls it God winks. You know, somebody shows up just when you need them. Somebody helps just when you need it. It's not luck. It's not happenstance. It's God working. God winks. And, and to see that, you have to be aware. You have to be aware of, of God's presence. You have to be aware of, of where he's working. You have to, you know, have your radar up for God's intervention Elisa moved in with us uh, November of last year. Her doctor said, you know, you really probably shouldn't be at home, at home alone. And don't, if, if you get the book, don't get the book, whatever. Don't look at Carla and I as heroes in this story. We've been way more blessed than Lisa has, I think, in this whole, whole last months. But I've been able to observe her. This person who was, was diagnosed, Lisa, Lisa was diagnosed with cancer. And, and I've been able to observe just, just how she's, been going through that whole ordeal and she's been looking she's been seeing God's working in intervention God she, she knows that God is at work that God sees in her something kind of like Gideon you're a mighty warrior like Peter I know you you've been a failure but you're the rock like Malchus how can you how can you deny what Jesus did there's one more aspect of the story that I just can't get away from this is Jesus' last encounter with Judas. Right? He, Judas goes up, kisses him on the cheek. And they never see each other again, as far as we know. Luke, Luke has, has Jesus uh, looking at Judas right after he kissed him and said, Judas, are you gonna, you're going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Are you kidding me? And what I don't get, that's it. There's nothing more. It's not like there's time, right? Jesus is in charge. There's time to, for Jesus to say, Judas, man, you're making a big mistake. Don't do it, Judas. Don't do it. But Jesus doesn't do that. He lets Judas do what he came to do. I think there's plenty of times Jesus lets us do what we want to do. Do you remember the story of the rich young ruler? Richard Mueller came to Jesus and said, hey, I'm going to follow you, man. I want to follow you. And Jesus said, great, give away everything you got and come and follow me. And you remember what the story goes. The rich young ruler walked away sad because he had great wealth. That's what the Bible says. But the next verse doesn't say, but Jesus ran after him, said, listen, listen, I know that's tough. Give away everything. That's crazy. How about half? Let's negotiate. What will it take for you to follow me? Jesus doesn't do that. He lets the guy make his choice. Luke, when he's telling this part of the story, he tells how when Jesus went to Herod. And in Luke chapter 22, it reads this way. Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he'd been wanting to see him. 
from what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. Hey, Jesus, turn that guy into a newt. He plied him with many questions. Do you see this next phrase? But Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests, the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. When Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressed him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. Jesus didn't say a word to Herod. Remember, this is the guy that had had many counters with John the Baptist. And eventually he had John the Baptist beheaded. Remember that story. And you got to think that Jesus knew, he knew everything. Herod knew what he needed to know. He'd been around John the Baptist time and time again. He knew what he needed to know, and yet he's walking on his own path. Here's the hard truth of this morning. When you know the light and choose to walk in the darkness, Jesus is going to let you walk there. When 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 you know where you need to go, and you're not going there, Jesus is gonna let you walk that way. See, every one of us has a choice. And it's as if, as if God Almighty says, all right, you know, I've told you everything you need to know. There's nothing more I can say. Walk where you wanna walk. God never promised us that we wouldn't have cancer. And never promised us that our road would be easy. And he never promised that we wouldn't go through struggles. And he never promised that everything would always work out perfect. What did he promise? I will be with you. And as Lisa has taken this journey, God has been with her. And in your journey, you can trust God will be with you. What does Paul say in Romans? If God is for us, who in the world could be against us? You kidding me? And just a little bit farther down that, that, that same passage in John chapter 8, Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither present or future, nor any powers, neither height, nor death, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does that mean? That means that Jesus is going to carry us home, whether it's today or tomorrow. But here's the deal. Like Lisa, you've got to know the path you're walking. If you know the light and you choose not to walk in it, Jesus is going to let you. But when you know the way, say, Jesus, I need you in my heart, my life. I need you to help me. Guess what? He has promised he will always do that. He will always come. He'll give you strength. He'll give you help. But you've got to allow him to do it. You've got to allow him to come in. 